to restore that purity to us in the kingdom of God, in our place in God. And I want to go back to this place is that we were created for relationship with God. And here's a big part of this relationship. Number one, you'll see in Genesis 1.31 that God said that everything that he created was good. So in our relationship with God, we were created to experience and to know consistently for eternity the emotions and the kindness of God towards us. The relationship between God and man always began with his divine approval of who you were. He created you so he approves of you. And that was the base, that, that was the beginning place. Adam had not done anything, even though he gave him governing power. He goes, you're very good and you're blessed. He wasn't trying to get blessed. He was already blessed by virtue of being created by God. But here's the other thing about God. God was not looking for robots when he created man. There's an interesting pattern in the Old Testament that you'll see. Moses was called God's friend. I love that. And he said, you know, I speak to people differently. Right? And Moses, I speak to like a friend. I always grab those verses. I always grab verses in Genesis 5 where it says, and Enoch walked with the Lord all the days of his life. And he was not because God took him home. I grabbed that years ago. I said, what does it look like to walk with you all the days of my life? But then, then it would put Moses. I said, Moses was your friend. I'm going to be your friend. The Lord spoke to me years ago. He said, it's one thing for man to give himself to God. It's another thing for me to commit myself to a man, my resources. It's a big deal. Can God trust you with his stuff? So God was not looking for robots. He called Moses his friend. And there's an interesting thing about Moses that God tells him in Exodus 25, he gives him a command. And this is what it's like to walk with the Lord in relationship with him. When he goes, build me a tabernacle. Again, it's a tabernacle of what already existed in heaven. God wanted a physical representation of what was already in heaven to give a physical sign to the nation of Israel of what it looked like for the place that God wanted to dwell. It's very interesting, right? Creates the Arden. He goes, this is, this is a place that I would dwell in, and now I'm giving it to you to take care of. And now they mess up, and he, he finds a man. It's also interesting. God never stopped his desire to bless man. What's he do? Found a man named Abram of the Chaldeans. And what's, what he goes, in you, I'm going to make a nation. What's the first thing he tells you? I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless you to be a blessing to the nations of the earth. God's desire to bless man has always been there. And what does he do? In Adam, he starts, watch the pattern. He starts with Adam. Adam makes a mistake, future generations now distorted. But then again, what does he do? He starts again. He starts with a man and he says, I'm going to bless you. There's going to come a lineage of people after you as, as many as the sands of the seashore. And then what does he go? The reason I'm blessing you is to be a blessing to the earth. So God was after the redemption of the earth and he started with a man because the kingdom of God is the rule and the reign of God. So if he can get the dominion of God inside of a man and create a family of people in the earth and create a nation of people, he can, he can, he can begin to repopulate the earth as he desires it. He loves the earth. God is the original environmentalist. This is how crazy this whole thing is. 
Instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping the creation that he made. Isn't it crazy, right? And now people value creatures over people. The same people got, you know, all the demons came at them a few weeks ago. So all they told you is your legislator is going to decide what you can do with the child in your womb. They're the ones who get all upset, you know, if a, if a dog gets run over. This is how, they're, but they're more committed to their, their viewpoint than most believers are. They'll die for it. That's why they get in front of cars now, you know, save the world, you know. It's true. They're so committed, they want to lower emissions and starve the world right now. It's 100% true because they think they want to save the world. That's a whole different subject. But he tells them to build this tabernacle inside of relationship with God. When God speaks, he will give you commands and you, and you do exactly what he says. God tells them exactly how he's supposed to build. And here's an interesting thing. Again, it's in this mindset that there is no secular and there is no spiritual in God. He fills the artisans with the Holy Spirit. The first people filled with the Holy Spirit on Scripture, they're filled with the Holy Spirit to create utensils for this tabernacle. So you can be filled with the Holy Spirit to display the brilliance of God in everything that you touch. He builds it, and what happens? The glory of God comes. What happened at original creation? Everything was touched with the glory of God. So he's after repopulating the earth. But then there's this other guy in scripture called David. David, according to Acts 13, 22, was the man after God's own heart. He was a warrior. He won victories. We know about his errors. We know about his, his challenges. One day, though, this is very interesting. David, David is uh, in front of his beautiful home. He's got a beautiful home, lots of wives. Very interesting. The Bible is a very interesting book. You know? Esther's not like they told us in Sunday school. That's a different story. But <laughs> David has made, he has put the Ark of the Covenant, which is symbolic of the presence of God, in a tent. And he pays musicians and singers to worship God 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And he looks at his nice house and he looks at his tent. He goes, I want to build a place for you, God. And the prophet Nathan is there. First Nathan says, go do all that is in your heart. Then God speaks to Nathan. He comes back to him. Now, what does he say? What does he say to him? God tells Nathan, he goes, no, he shed too much blood. But, his son after him, if he puts everything in place, he can build me a place and my glory will go there. So the last part of David's life, this is important for you. There are many things that you will do and God will ask you to do that when you do them, you might not see them before you leave the earth. Because God is a multi-generational God and he actually asks you to do things and believe for things. And as long as you say yes, you get credit as though you lived on the earth when they took place. 
So I was, I led that into that prophetic word because I kept hearing in my heart, you're building for future generations. So what's very interesting though about David, and this is also the heart of every, this is, should be the center of every New Testament believer as a disciple. You should live for eternity. David says, I'm going to build a temple for the Lord after God has already told him he's not going to be on the earth when it takes place. That is someone seeing from an eternal perspective. And then Solomon, his son, takes the throne. David transitions. I love what it says, some translations. When David had served the purposes of God for his generation, then he died. Some, some translations said he fell asleep. That's how you want to leave the earth, having served your generation. That's how you want to live. In Jesus' name, I'm going to have a good death. Really? I'm not afraid of dying, but I'm not leaving the earth till I do everything he asked me to do. So Solomon, in dedicating this temple, I want to read this. I know we've hit a lot of different things. You are uh, an interesting group. You're pulling lots of different things out of me. It's hard to stay focused. Just... No, really. 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 14. Then the king turned around and blessed the whole assembly of Israel while all the assembly of Israel was standing. And he said, blessed be the Lord God of Israel who spoke with his mouth to my father David, with his hand was fulfilled, saying, since that day I brought my people out of Israel, I have chosen no city nor from any tribe in which to build a house that my name might be there, but I chose David to be over my people. Now it was in the heart of my father David to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, when it was in your heart to build a temple for me, you did well that was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son will come from your body. He will build the temple for my name. So the Lord has fulfilled this word which he spoke. I have filled the position of my father and I sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and I have built a temple for the Lord in the name of the Lord God of Israel. I encourage you to read that story because you'll see when he finishes that temple for the Lord, same thing happened that happened in Exodus uh, about verse chapter 40, where the glory of God comes. The glory of God comes and the priest cannot minister when he completes that temple. But the reason I read those verses is you will never find one scripture. I look for it constantly for years. You'll not find one scripture where it says, the Lord said to David, build me a temple. So in walking in our authority, and in walking in the dominion that God has given us, realize that God does not desire a robot. Everything, even as a spirit-filled person, everything that you need to know might come from the expression and the creativity that comes out of your heart. That's why I led up to saying it's very important to guard your heart because in guarding your heart, in walking in wholeness in your heart, you are better able to discern what is not of God and what is God. Now, here's the other part about this. I live with this principle. Everything I've done in my ministry, God hasn't given me a thus saith the Lord to. Why? Because I'm God's friend. And I live from this place as I commit everything I do to the Lord. This is a big verse for me. Commit all your works to the Lord and your thoughts will be established. So in the friends that God wants on the earth, it's you and him walking together. There are things like, oh, I'd like to do that. Don't do that. And then there's other things he'll go, I'll back you up in doing that. 
I never tell the Lord what to do, but there's a creative expression that's supposed to be released out of your life where as you co-labor with the Lord, you birth God things in the earth. You birth and you release the glory of God in friendship with God. That you look around and you go, man, I don't like that there's drugs over that neighborhood. God, I'm going to go over there and pray. I'm going to anoint those, I'm gonna anoint those, those streets. With the, with, I'm just going to anoint. I'm going to go over there once a week. I'm going to pray over and God goes, I'm, I'm behind that. I'm behind that. Or I heard there, you know, whatever, this is going on at ECU now, and, you know, there's this thing going around, and I'm just going to walk, prayer walk the campus. Or something's taking place in your workplace where they're struggling economically, and instead of getting with all the, all the, all the you know, the, the gossip and stuff, and, you know, like, what are we going to do? I'm looking, I'm putting my resume out. You're contending that that business flourishes. Because part of walking in the blessing of the Lord is learning to extend the blessings on you to people around you. Joseph's blessing benefits Potiphar before he ever comes second in command of a nation. It says because of the blessing that was on Joseph, Potiphar prospered. Can you be okay with somebody benefiting from the blessing on your life when it has no uh, benefit in the immediate way for your life? Why? Because the first thing we are is servants to this world. Let your light so shine before men that men may see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. But there are secrets. There are, there, are, there are wisdom things that God wants to give his people. There are ways to pray. There are ways to intervene. God cares about inflation right now. God cares about what's happening in your life right now. God cares about your unsaved children. God cares about your current economic situation. God cares about all those things. And he is not withholding any wisdom from anyone in this room. And he wants to partner with you. And I'm not saying it won't happen overnight, but here's the beautiful thing about faith in God. Here's the beautiful thing about the word of God. Once you receive it in your heart, it comes in like a seed and it begins to grow. And with that seed on the inside of you, as you track with the Lord, everywhere you go, he's working in the unseen realm. He is orchestrating things in your life so that the will of God, for the plan of God, for the purpose of God to come to place in your life as you walk on this earth. And that's why it's good news. It is good news for humanity. It is what they look forward to. Even though they lived, they lived in this place where the desire of God, even as uh, God's chosen people was to bless them, the desire of God was to, uh, to, uh, to, to show them off to the nations of the earth. And, and there's a reason he put specific instructions in the Bible there's a reason he, he, he teaches them how to govern as a nation. If you read some of those instructions in the Bible, you'll see there, there, there weren't arbitrary. I've heard people make fun of, oh, why did you write this? Or if, if you followed some of those sanitary things, then there would be no disease in your nation. What do we know from World War, the Civil War? Most of the soldiers did not die simply from their injury. It died because of unsanitary things. You know, you get something on your thumb, they're like, oh, cut your thumb off, and then the next soldier would come. They would use the same knife to cut his thumb off. How did he tell them to treat the poor? 
on the seventh year. Well, first he told them, what did he tell them? If there's poor among you, agriculture society, leave the outside. Leave the outside for the poor so they can gather. What's he doing to them? He's not just giving them a handout. He's giving them dignity that they get to pick up their food themselves so that they wouldn't, stay, they wouldn't stay hungry. And then on the seventh year, what happened? All debts were released. Why? Because God did not, God hated perpetual poverty and debt. What do you say through Isaiah? God is your lawgiver. God is your judge. It was what the United States, uh, um, uh, the, the three branches were based on. See, people are complicated. So some people, ah, these are slave owners, racist men. Some of that's actually true. But they also had some wisdom in how they created this nation. And to dismiss that would be un unwise, in my opinion. He was trying to teach them how to govern as a nation. But it was always with this promise. This was the promise. Isaiah 60. We could read multiple scriptures on this, but this is the day they anticipated. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and deep darkness to people, but the Lord will arise over you. And his Gentiles, the Gentiles shall come to your light and the kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up all your eyes all around and see, they will all gather together and they will come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. Then you, will see, then, then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. The multitude of camels will cover the land and the demiteries of Midian, Ephah, and all those of Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and incense and they shall proclaim the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebo shall minister to you. They shall ascend with that acceptance to my altar and I will glorify the house of my glory. Who are those who fly like clouds and like doves to the roof? Surely the coastland shall wait for me and the ships of the tarnish will come to bring the sons from afar. Their silver and their gold will be with them to the name of the Lord your God, to the one holy one, because he has glorified you. The sons of foreigners shall build your walls and your kings will minister to you. But in my wrath, I struck you. But in my favor, I have mercy on you. Therefore, your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut up day or night and men shall bring you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in possession for the nation and the kingdom will not serve, will not serve you shall not perish and those nations will be utterly ruined. He goes on. Isaiah 61 keeps going on. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. This was the hope. This was the promised hope, even in the middle of him wanting to bless them in that, in that old covenant. This was the, ble this was the hope that they, that they longed for. In Luke 2, when Jesus was born, he, 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 de he declared, they declared, he's come to bring good tidings of peace and great 
joy. That's what the gospel of the kingdom is. This is the day that they hoped for. This is the day that they believed in. This is the day that, that God would break into the present age. And I do want to say, I am kingdom now, but not already yet. I don't believe we're in the fullness of everything. I think the Bible teaches that. But it's this emphasis on this goodness has broken into today. This was the prophetic promise that came through Jesus. And what does God do? Because he is a God of his word, he has to, he, uh, God has to come in the form of a man and the perfect seed. God is so committed to his word, he cannot violate his word. He can't just go, okay, I'll just fix everything. He is so committed to the world he created. He, the word became flesh. The perfect seed had to come. And he's got the humility of Jesus. He's got to live as a man. That's why after he dies and resurrects and appears, you never see him do miracles again. Why? Because he's now operating as God. He cannot violate that principle in the earth. He comes as the fully God, fully man. It's the mystery. It's the mystery. But he comes and lives as a man. And what does Paul say? He gives language to this. He is the image of the invisible God. What was Adam? He was supposed to be the image of the invisible God. That's what Jesus, Jesus was the first man since Adam to express God's original intent. And this was his message to humanity. I'll land the plane here in a moment. Jesus came, died, resurrected, and ascended. That's really important. He doesn't just die, resurrects. He ascends. And he tells us, as he is, so are we in this world. God offers to humanity not only a new life, but a new way of life. It's called the kingdom of God. Jesus offers to humanity not only a new life, but a new way of life. I love how the Amplified calls the kingdom of God. It says the rule and reign of God, but it also in the, in the parentheses, it's God's way of doing things. wrote this down this week. The kingdom of God, say it again, is the rule and the reign of God, but the kingdom of God is not a specific location, but rather a manner of living that when you embrace it by faith, redefines your environment. The kingdom of God is not a specific location, but rather a manner of living that when embraced by faith in God, redefines your environment. And this is the gospel that Jesus preached. The focus of Jesus' ministry was preaching and teaching and the demonstration of the gospel of the kingdom. The kingdom of God was God's original unchanging intent. It was the focus of Jesus' ministry. And the four gospels contain a hundred direct references to the kingdom of God. John preached the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. It was his only message. Peter, John, and the other apostles preached the kingdom of God. The early church preached the kingdom of God. The reason I, I, I emphasize that it's not a physical place and it is the rule and the reign of God because how he, how, he, 
how he, uh, how God's desire to govern the world through the kingdom of God begins by teaching us how to think and act correctly. Your thinking defines your behavior. Who was the forerunner to Jesus? It was John the Baptist. John the Baptist didn't do any miracles. And what did he say? Repent, change your thinking. We know from John's ministry, he did no miracles, no physical miracles. So the strength of what he said, and I believe God is going to return strong teaching and preaching of the gospel. The greatest orders should not be in the world. The greatest orders were always meant to be from the people of God. Strong words that move people's hearts. When my dad officially said the sinner's prayer, he'd already had an encounter with the Lord. I believe he was already born again, but he goes to church. He's listening and he thinks, how does this man know my life? He wondered. The guy said, I mean, can relate to that when you got born again. He's thinking, how does this guy know me? He's preaching my whole life up there. And he kept saying, someone needs to get born again today. He's in the back, this Pentecostal church. And the man said, if you want to, if you want to receive Jesus, lift up your hand. And my dad said, don't lift your hand up. And he lifted his hand up. We laugh, but that's the sort of environments we need. Where people are like, oh, I'm not interested. And they go, yes. And of course, because they're Pentecostal, they made them walk the aisle. None of this fill out a card. Thank you for coming. You know, get a coffee cup. We've created an environment to the lowest common denominator. I'm not interested in being mean or cruel to people, but I don't want people comfortable in their demons in my environment. Like, well, we just want to feel people feel welcome. He was compelled. Then he goes down and says the prayers, and he thought they were nuts. He really, because they're all like, you're our brother. He goes, I don't know any of these people. But God will always witness. He went home. He said, God, if this is you, I want it. He goes, this is me. They'll teach you about me. Irresistible. Following Jesus. But John, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And what was John? What was, how is John described? This is one who will come to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord. So what does he teach us? His message was repentance. His message was the kingdom of God. And he says, this is what prepares the way for the coming of the Lord, a changed mind. And then what does Jesus come? He identifies with the message of John. I believe that's one of the reasons he gets baptized also because he's extremely humble. Like, I, you know, like I, you're having trouble forgiving your sister. Look at Jesus. He did a lot of humiliating things. The one who created the world is living in the limitations of the world he created, not for any benefit of his own. God gets no benefit out of people in a sense. It's not like he needs it. Like I've heard people say he needs it. No, God doesn't need anything outside of himself. He has chosen to lavish his goodness and his kindness upon you because that's just who he is. God is not insufficient of himself. 
What did Jesus teach? Repent. But he, let me go back to that point. He gets baptized, I believe, to identify with that message of the kingdom. And he's saying, I align with this message of this prophet that he's bringing. I align with this person. Jesus preached the Sermon on the Mount. He preached about the kingdom. When he taught his disciples to pray, he taught them about the kingdom. When Jesus taught his disciples about the authority he was giving them, he taught them concerning kingdom authority. When Jesus died and resurrected, he taught his disciples about the kingdom. Acts 1, this is after he's resurrected. To them, he also showed himself alive after his passion, suffering in the garden on the cross by a series of many convincing demonstrations and unquestionable evidences and infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and talking to them about things of the kingdom. It was the last message he taught them about. And so his focus was this kingdom. I just want to encourage you that it's been this still ongoing journey, not only to learn about God. Make it your goal as a disciple to become a theologian of the beauty of God and the character of God. Because when you know God, he will teach you his ways. I made a commitment. God, I want to know you. I want to know your word. And your word is my standard. Never ever entertain something that God has clearly said in his word, his opinion on. That will open up you deception. That's how you stay. And I was like, well, how do I know? And you know, things like, he's made it clear in his word. Never challenge it. One time, so I was like, you're really close-minded. Yes, I am. I'm saved. <laughs> I'm born again. Very close-minded. Well, God has in his word. You never want to entertain that. Something outside. Maybe are not essential. Have dialogues with the Lord about it. But ask him. Lord, I, I, I want to know. Meditate on that Bible every day. Open that book up. It's my iPad. Me, I get up, go to bed with it, go to sleep with it, listen to it, listen to people further along on it. Sometimes I hear things too. I go, huh, I think that's true, but I don't think it's a complete truth. So then I start this dialogue. I think our talk should lead to more questions than answers. Don't take my word for it. Become a Berean. I esteem the skeptical. I don't quite believe what you say. You study the word yourself. See what the Lord reveals to you. I've adjusted things because if, well, I, you know, I heard you say this. Oh, yeah, I, I never, let me, let me look at that and I'll get back with it. And I, oh, you know, I, I said this and, you know, maybe we could adjust the language. Language is a really big deal. So we want to express ourselves correctly. And I just want to close again. I'm going to, finish in this high place, in a sense. The Lord spoke to me, and we'll look at an example here in a minute. Uh, probably about 10, 12 years ago, 
and I still have it in my journal, and sometimes I'll read it. But um, this, this word the Lord gave me, he said, I want to teach you, speaking to me personally, and I believe it's for the body of Christ, I want to teach you how to live a life governed by my word. When you're governed by my word, you live without limits. That's why he said, if you believe, everything's possible. If you believe, everything's possible. If you believe, everything's possible. You know, there, there, there's, there's times where you hear things and because your, your, your experience is so far removed from maybe what you heard him say to you or what you even see about yourself. The beautiful thing about God is he, he thinks way more brilliantly about you than usually you do. Yeah, this, that's important stuff. Because a religious spirit, I believe, has actually talked the people of God outside of the creativity they're supposed to be, outside of the brilliance they're supposed to be, outside of the splendor they're supposed to release, outside of the creativity they're supposed to do, outside of the authority. I was talking to the young man last night. He was telling me he's got this, um, he's a youth pastor at a church here in town. And I met him last year, really brilliant guy. And he's telling me, yeah, we have this, we have this, um, this show on Saturday nights on the radio, and it's about uh, Christian hip-hop and beats. I said, that's awesome. Why? Because God originated all that stuff. And sometimes this secular and religious thing actually castrates people from releasing the beauty of the, the greatest paintings, the greatest music was always supposed to be with the people of God. And sometimes when we're disciples, we talk them out of the originality of who God created them to be. There's a reason you're drawn to certain things. But there's a brilliance. There's, a, there's an impossible thing that you're supposed to do. You're like, I don't know about all this impossible stuff. Well, then just start right where you're at. Sometimes it's five minutes at a time. Lord, I trust you. Trust you in this area. Sometimes it's so difficult. You're just like, I don't know. I'm going to make it. Just, you know, just start making You can do it. And get somebody to agree with you. Help you along the way. Get to ask God to bring in your life good. I don't have, I don't have friends who don't believe in impossible things. Yeah. Now, I'm nice to everyone. I just don't have, I don't want to entertain too much. You can't do that and you know. Amen. Get some friends that you believe in impossible things. Get some friends that hold you accountable. Yes. Get a really good friend. He's a, what a, He's led thousands of people to the Lord. He's not coming to my wedding because he's got an outreach in Sturgis. I can forgive him for that. He's probably going to lead thousands. I said, he said, I'm really sorry this has been planned. I said, don't be sorry. You go do what God called you to do. Thousands of people he leads to the Lord. But I told him, I said, you told me you got a book inside of you. I told you I help you with it. You got to finish that book. Get those things out there. There's a, there's, a, there's a brilliance on the inside of you. That's why he says, don't look here, don't look there, for the kingdom of God is within you. So it's not a physical place, but when people see it in action, they go, that's God. That's God. I've mentioned ORU. I, I'm not, I'll share that tomorrow, but I'll, I'm going I'm to share this right now, and then we'll take a few minutes. And there's parts of your journey that 
All you have to do is say yes to it. And you don't know exactly where it's going to lead. This prayer call, I never thought it'd still be going two and a half years later. I just thought we were supposed to pray it on COVID and God began to move. But years ago, I, um, I was listening to Mike Bickle teach and, um, I think right before he started teach, he just made this statement. He said, some of you are going to be struck with the lives of generals because God has something in their life for you. And I knew that bore witness with me. I said, that's the word of the Lord for me. So I said, who is it for me? And one of the people he told me is Oral Roberts. I want you to study his life. I've read his books. I, I could go for another two hours about the brilliance of that man's life. By the way, he finished well, too. He, he, knew, he knew when God was bringing him home. He told his son and daughter. He was celebrating. I'm going home. They thought he was losing his mind. He said, no, no, I'm going home because he was in the hospital. They thought he thought he was going home. He was going home. He said, the reason I'm going home is because I've done everything God's asked me to do. That's how you want to finish on the earth. Lord said, I've done everything he's asked me to do so I can go home. So I just study his life. I've had some encounters with him involved in it, never thinking I'd be somehow connected to him in a certain way. As I finished the second book two years ago, I was finished in the second book, and the Lord says, I want you to go get a doctorate degree. That was the one I said, I don't know if you realize I'm really busy right now doing work for you. Are you sure? Are you sure? Are you sure? It takes a lot of time and I, I feel really incapable. I remember I filled out the application. Well, checked out a few places, and then I didn't even put this all together of me studying his life, but uh, I was thinking about going to another school, and then I had a conversation with the chairman of the department, and as soon as I finished, I knew I was supposed to go to ORU, but I filled out the application. They had you do this scholarly paper. I hadn't written scholarly in 17 years, and I thought, I don't think I, like, can I really do this? Anyway. They let me in. That's a miracle. <laughs> First miracle, other way. And I'm about to start classes. I think, oh yeah, it's last year, last January. And we're praying one night on this prayer call. And there's this angel in my home office. I'd never discerned him before. And it's how these things go. I don't actually say it, but I'm saying it in my eye. I said, what is this angel here for? And the Lord speaks to me. He said, oh, that's the angel that's going to help you through school. Oh, really? I didn't tell anyone that. So I'm on a Zoom call a few days later with some leaders, another state. They said, oh, they, they actually were just finishing their doctorate. Something going on in the place of education right now with believers. They told me, saying, yeah, we didn't really want to do this. And, you know, 
God called us to do it. One of them actually just finished it at Regent. And uh, so they said, we want to pray for you. I said, great, I need lots of prayer. And they start praying. They go, there's an angel assigned to you to go through this program. And God is with you. And then one of them said, I'm just going to step out of faith. I believe it's the same angel that was assigned to Oral when he started ORU. So it's been a year and a half now. And I'm doing lots of stuff I never thought I could do. Wrote the first part of my dissertation proposal. It's like writing in a language that you're learning as you go. But that angel's been there. And every time, you don't, I don't think I can do it. I sit down. I said, Lord, I'm going to do the, my very best. I'm going to partner with you. And here we go. And the things that comes out. And every time I step on campus there, I have to go like two and a half days every few months sometimes. It's like I begin to weep because I'm receiving an impartation that belongs to me. And part of the reason I say that is because I've had this stirring now for about three years that many of our lives are intersecting with the prayers of saints of old. And we're picking up the work that though they left the earth, it's still supposed to continue through our lives. I've grabbed... The, pro, the word that God gave to Brother Roberts. He said, build me a university based on, my, that, that's why I always reference, I, I've, I just, and part of the reason too is a lot of people don't know who he even is anymore. And I don't want people to ever forget him. But I take the word that God gave me, gave him, guild me a university based on my authority and my spirit. And then he later told him, your graduates are to take my healing power to the dark ends of the earth and their work will exceed that of yours and in this I am well pleased. So I take that over my life. God, you said that the graduates would take the healing power of God to the nations of the earth and you said you would be pleased with this. So be pleased with that in my life. Why? He's left the earth, but he's not dead. For one of the needs of the church or catechisms, which is basically to, they gave early believers expressions of uh, doctrine so they could explain it. And one of the things that they would say, we believe in the holy Catholic, don't think of the organization, Catholic is just universal. We believe in the Catholic church, both on the earth and in heaven. Meaning this scholarly concept that there is a church on the earth and there's a church in heaven. And the church in heaven says, we finished our race. Now we, we, we are trusting that you will take the work we did in the earth and keep expanding it. I don't know if you even realize how blessed you are to be in a quote-unquote spirit-filled environment. Early spirit-filled believers, they want to take their kids because they thought they were crazy. Social service would come to service. It's like, are you one of them tongue-talking people? 
No, they, I don't necessarily blame them because they'd never seen anything like that in mass. They go to church, and early Pentecostals were, you, this is tame this morning. I mean, you know, the roll on the floor, you know. So, oh, serious. They try and take their kids. I don't know if you realize even the message of the goodness of God. Part of the reason Brother Roberts was so popular with the common person is he was one of the first, this is first, this is not a lie, first to ever say, God is a good God and the devil is a bad devil. And the people, because they never heard that, because early Pentecostals thought God wanted to zap you. They didn't think you went to a service unless they told you how bad you were. And it was the first, and he said, the common man would come alive, and he said, all the pastors on the platform, it felt like knives in my back because they weren't sure if God was good. Think about how far we've come. We said it here. This morning, we're singing about the, your goodness. That was controversial in Oral's day. The church I grew up in, the only people that prayed for sick people were the elders and the pastor. The average, you didn't pray for someone. That was stuff for the professionals. Think about how it's changed now. But think about what we're supposed to leave in the earth. Amen.